on a Sunday morning, you have at least 10,000 Slavics in church in Federway. And there's plenty of work to do with Slavic youth. I was actually with him on the field when he died. Uh, you know, did CPR to him. I don't feel comfortable speaking in Russian. Can a Slavic church reach the community with an English service? The audio that I heard of him, if that's him speaking and trying to kind of tell his daughter why he's abusing his wife, let's go cast off some demons. The gifts of the Holy Spirit can operate without the weird stuff. If the main leadership is not supportive of this idea, what can a young person do? Russell. Welcome. Thank you for agreeing to have this conversation. It's been plan, in plans for a while, but excited to, to have you on. Thanks, bro. It's an honor to be with you. I've been listening to your podcast. I was expecting some seeds, but uh, afterwards when we're done. <laughs> that, that, that comes up pretty often. But I said, the idea of it sounds good, but if the, all, you think, if you, all you hear in the microphone is seeds <laughs> cracking, probably get annoying pretty quickly. But, Bro, I just want to say, you do a good job interviewing people. I love the questions you ask. One of the best qualities a leader can have is the ability to ask questions, and you do that really well. Thank you. We'll see how I do today. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, do your, maybe your opinion will change. But you've also been in ministry for a long time. I think for many of us growing up in Slavic community all over America, I think my age, a little bit older, younger, knows uh, Russell and the influence that you've had. I think not even on Slavic people, but on Slavic churches in general. Looking back 15, 20 years, you started at a young age, age in ministry. What's different now, or how's ministry different now than it was when you were starting and with youth ministry and all those things? Yeah. <clears throat> so I've been in full-time ministry for 22 years now. Uh, now, some, <laughs> yeah, some of it has been kind of bivocational, but in full-time ministry for 22 years. Um, yeah, things are changing. Uh, I mean, one, my role was different than the church. Working with youth uh, is different than church planting. And so, um, you know, the just the demographics is different. But I think that what our nation is facing is different challenges uh, with, um, you know, you take the LGBTQ issues and everything connected to that. Um, we definitely live in an area and a region where there's a lot more unchurched. And so um, maybe it hasn't changed as much for a typical person in America, but for me what's changed is just the demographics I work with uh, where before it's primarily Slavic. Now it's primarily reaching our city, our region that we're in. And when you're doing that, the issues the people have, the families have that come through the door of your church are very different than than what the conversations I would have with people in church 15 years ago. And what are the conversations or issues that you're dealing with now that you see more often than maybe you've never seen before? Yeah. You know, before you're talking to uh, children that are backsliding and trying to kind of bring them back, you're talking to parents that are struggling with the fact that the kids are backsliding. And, uh, you know, you're dealing with a lot of kids that were born in Christian families and their struggles, uh, challenging them, equipping them, uh, painting them a vision for uh, what a local church can be. Uh, where right now, a lot of the conversations I'm having are... Uh, People that are new to faith, uh, people that are exploring faith. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, I had a conversation with a young lady that came to our church, and she said we met with her and her uh, boyfriend in a coffee shop, and 
She said, you know, I've never read the Bible. I downloaded your church app and I saw that it has a Bible. So this is my first time reading the Bible. And I came across the story of um, uh, the story of um, Lot and his wife becoming a pillar of salt. And she's like, I thought that was a Saturday night skit on mm -hmm. Saturday Night Live. I didn't know it was a true story. It's like, should I believe this? You know, so, so the conversation changed a little bit. And in some ways, uh, they're unique and interesting. But uh, at the same time, sometimes you wish those conversations, uh, you know, you wish that you, the conversations were a little bit more mature with some others. Like, for example, even take our youth ministry, you know, where we've started a youth ministry right now at Woodmark, and we have about 40 students coming. A third of them come from single family homes. Mm. And so... Uh, you, you know, the conversations with them is different than, uh, you know, coming than a bunch of youth coming from two parent homes where, you know, both parents believe and both parents are, are challenging them in their walk with Jesus. While here you have some parents, you know, maybe a dad that doesn't live with them or a mom that doesn't live with them that actually challenges them not to walk with Jesus, you know. And so, uh, yeah, so things for me have changed in terms of just what the actual content of the conversation is. You mentioned you over 20 years in ministry. You've seen a lot, you've experienced a lot. How did you get even started in ministry? Because being a young guy, everybody's planning their life, family, income, jobs. What led you to full-time yeah. ministry? Because, you know, some would say the other opportunities maybe pay more provide more finances, why ministry? And how did yeah. you get started? Yeah, I, so I grew up at Sly Gospel Church, same roots as you. Mm -hmm. And um, I had some good mentors come alongside me when I was young, when I was a teenager. And really paint for me what uh, how beautiful ministry could be. Uh, this included people like Evgeny Gerasimov, uh, then got plugged into Grandpa Ratchuk's prayer. And from that led me to plug in into Paul Ratchuk uh, and you know, seeing his heart for missions and traveling with him for a couple of years and uh, seeing his uh, his work with people uh, captivated me. Uh, you know, seeing the, the change that people experience when they uh, come in contact with the gospel made me quickly realize I'd love to do this for the rest of my life. Um, so I had a chance to do some missions work um, in Ukraine, then India, uh, you, you know, in Ukraine, we did some church planting with some students from Good Samaritan. And those years just really, uh, you know, put a love in my heart for, for the ministry, for the local church, for missions, for the gospel. And so, um, you know, that's just decided right there and then that this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I, I think I came to America and it's either the same year or the following year, Paul Ratchuk uh, passed away. So I never got to witness, witness him or work with him or see you know his ministry. But many guys got a chance to work with him, speak very highly of him and the mm -hmm. impact he had on their lives. What is it about him that he had such a big impact on the guys that were close mm -hmm. to him? Yeah, I was very close to Paul. I was actually with him on the field when he died, um, you know, did CPR to him and um and actually next month I get to do the wedding of his son who was his wife was pregnant with with the last son and she was you know in the bus 
not too far away when the when the airplane crashed. So, um, for those that are not familiar, can you tell us a story of what happened when he passed? Yeah, so we took a trip to uh, Canada, uh, not Canada, Alaska, with uh, some students. So we put this uh, trip together with Paul. Uh, we had 20-some young people in a big bus, and it was a mission trip to Alaska. Uh, we had a whole schedule planned out for a couple weeks and drove from Seattle there. It was our first trip, I mean, first day in Alaska. And before our first service, you know, we had a couple hours and uh, you know, we've heard that one of these men has a ultralight aer- little airplane that he takes to kind of uh, difficult parts of Alaska to explore. Now, Paul did a lot of work in Chukotka, which is right across from, from mm-hmm. Alaska. And so we were like, well, what if you take it to Chukotka? We're like, let's go. <laughs> let's mm-hmm. go see it. And so we get to this man's house and, you know, he offers a couple people a ride. And... Um, and I think two or three people go before Paul. And, and then we were like, well, you know, uh, Paul, Paul's going to try it out because he wants to maybe take it to Chukotka and to do missions work. And so as they're, as they're trying it out for, you know, a five-minute spin, um, right in front of our eyes, the wings collapse and, and they fall down. And we ran up and, you know, there's just, there was no life left there. And... Um, so then the bus drove back to Washington and we flew the body back, uh, you know, here. And um, his wife was pregnant with this eighth kid, eighth child at that time. Some of his boys were there in the field with him. But Paul, man, something, uh, something about him, he was just a man of vision. Uh, you talk to him and he had this massive plans for impact, for church planting. Uh, one of the last projects that he was really passionate about, all across Siberia, there's these 12 rivers that if you travel on those rivers, most of those people are people unreached with the gospel completely. You know, they're, they're shamans, they're, you know, people that uh, worship all kinds of spirits, but no gospel uh, ministry at all. And his heart was, let's train up people, let's train up teams, and send them to across all those rivers. So, so it was just 12 rivers project that was in our heart. And, and I mean, he'd talk about it every day. We travel across the states, you know, bringing connections, putting, putting systems in place to impact Siberia uh, and the 12 rivers. And, um, you know, he was a very people person, very easy to talk to. Uh, he, uh, the moment something got boring, is like some kind of a boring elders meeting, he's out, <laughs> you know, or I remember from time to time service and people would leave and Paul would take me and some of the other guys and it's like, let's go cast off some demons. Somebody needs to be prayed for. And literally we're, you know, 15, 16 years old and we're praying for people and casting out demons. And I mean, seeing stuff that, you know, normally we would never see. I think... Even you, when I think recently you had like a trip to Boston for a conference and you brought several young guys with you. And I assumed that when I saw that, I was like, that's probably lessons from Paul of bringing young guys along and showing and not saying like, well, you're still too young. You, you know, you're still immature. One day will come and you will be grown enough. But where it's like, hey, you're... You're old enough. You you can't. You do understand, and to bring them along with ministry. So I was happy yeah. to see that even you bringing those young guys along with you to to see ministry behind the scenes, maybe. 
Yeah. Again, I'm a product of what they've done. And, and I think one of the best things I can do is just replicate that and invest into some guys like that. And um, I'm so grateful they did that to me. You started as you see. And then after, uh, as you see, was that uh, your first church plant, this uh, City Hill, your first church plant? Yeah, so we were at SGC, and I was a youth leader there for five years. And then um, uh, I got married, and a couple months into our marriage, we decided, uh, we knew that long-term we'd want to do some work in America in English. And it just didn't seem like that would be something that SGC would want to do. And so, uh, plus I wanted to get a little bit deeper grounded in, in the Word, and so we decided to move to Oklahoma and went to a Bible college called Oral Roberts University. Mm -hmm. And so we lived in Oklahoma for almost four years uh, and um, uh, finished my, my bachelor's degree there and then was also on staff at an American church there. And uh, while we were there, SGC came to a split. And so, uh, but at the same time, you know, SGC was coming to a split. Um, you know, we had a lot of friends who were kind of disconnected from church already. And and so we began a conversation. Uh, so while I live in Oklahoma, about a two-year conversation with me, Mike, um, Andre Muzichuk, Alex Kovachuk, some others, like what would it look like uh, to plant a church in, in our region? And um, we were all young. It's, the conversation started when I was 24, 25. And we met with our parents and our parents said, you guys are too young. You need somebody older <laughs> on board to, to do this. That's when we began to call around and ask who else older would join us in the process. And uh, that's when we invited uh, Pastor Vasily Batan to come from Russia as well and join the team. And uh, yeah, so we moved back from Oklahoma after having not been at SGC. Um, so I haven't been a part of SGC for now like 20, 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, and so we moved back from Oklahoma and planted City Hill. And what was the vision for City Hill different than all of you guys being part of a church? How was City Hill supposed to be different from the church that you were growing up at? Yeah. God uses all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. And uh, I have a, you know, I have a bigger view in terms of um, churches in general and the benefit of that. I think that when a church gets too, too large, it settles. Uh, and, um, and so there was a need, um, you know, typically in that time frame in Seattle, there was either very, very traditional churches that saw all worship and clapping and English as charismatic as wrong. And then there was a lot of charismatic churches that, uh, that saw all traditional churches as wrong and they mm -hmm. preach against each other. And, um, you know, there was a kind of a, there was a real need of a church that would say, Hey, we honor our past. And we're not going to laugh at them because they're people we honor. At the same time, we want to reach our community and we want to, uh, you know, English is a language we're going to use. And, um, you know, we embrace newer songs at the same time, cherish older songs. And so there's a need for sort of a middle ground um, at the same time. You know, in that time frame, Mars Hill was blowing up and a lot of young people were, were leaving. And, and I think there was a theological void, too, where, mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of Slavic traditional churches that that had a lot of great encouraging messages, not a lot of uh, messages with, with doctrine. Mm -hmm. And so when Calvinism was in this big wave, 
uh, we were like, well, Calvinism is great, but we're not Calvinists, and we need to teach a little bit sort of healthy theology mm-hmm. here. <laughs> and, um, and so there was a doctrinal void too. And um, so we moved back and just felt called by God. Uh, and uh, certainly that wasn't a normal church plan. It took off much faster than we anticipated. Uh, and and of course, SGC splitting at that moment was painful for, for a lot of families too, and probably caused some pain to, for SGC too, you know, because uh, in the moment when half the church was leaving, some decided to come and join City Hill. Yeah, a little bit more on, on, on the church plan on City Hill later, but even with church splits, it seems like even in our area, a church split here, a church split there. Are those avoidable at all, or is that just part of life that people will disagree? And if they are not avoidable. Is there a way to do it that it's less feelings hurt? It's not as harsh as it usually happens? Because it seems like it's, when it does happen, rarely it's on friendly basis and friendly conversations. It tends to be a lot more aggressive. Yeah. So I guess, what can, is there anything we can do that where these church splits happen less often? Again, Church splits will happen because of doctrinal issues, because of um, different methods and approaches. And, and I think that um, most leaders, uh, is, the transition is, is the difference maker. At some point, you're going to have two different churches. But, mm-hmm. but if the tradition, transition was a lot more smoother and easier, then I think long term it would be uh, much better. And so I think it's a lesson for us that when when there are leaders that are looking to plant a church and start uh, hey, they're going to do it. And whether we do it painfully with, you know, breaking the walls and calling the police and having helicopters or whether we're going to do it peacefully, it's like, I mean, you can choose one way or the other. Why not choose to do it peacefully? Why not approach it as a multiplication? Why not send them out and, you, you know, um, if, you, if you feed people well and you preach the word well, then then the people that are meant to be with you will be with you. And, and so I think that there's a... Uh, the painful splits are probably as a result of um, you know, immaturity sometimes, mm-hmm. where I think it, it could be <clears throat> could be more, much more gentler. Now, of course, for every leader, uh, whenever somebody decides to leave, that's hard. Yeah. Um, and and so uh, you can't take that away. You know, it's, it's painful, but it probably doesn't have to be as painful. When City Hill was planted, it was special for younger generation. Like, okay, if there's a church being started with clean slate is going to be done differently than maybe the more traditional conservative churches. It took off, attracted a lot of people. It seems like even then, kind of like you're starting a church with clean slate, what went wrong there that even seems like, okay, start with clean slate, but then you're not part of Cedar Hill, Mike's not part of Cedar Hill. So I guess what what went wrong there that could have been done differently? Yeah, we planted City Hill, and about two years into it, we moved up north and started our second campus. Um, and through that time, you know, we City Hill, instead of growing one large church, we began to multiply to a point where there was technically five campuses. And, um, you know, it probably could have been a lot more even. And so uh, I think that we probably struggled a bit because we were one of the first, one of the first Slavic churches uh, or a church with a Slavic background that went campuses, and and we were trying to figure out our system: are we one church? Are we uh, many churches with different names? And and how do you function? And I think that you know 
through that tension, I think, you know, there could have been uh, more conversations to kind of figure out what are we doing uh, instead of just letting things go and, and then eventually, you know, causing pain and hurt. So, um, you know, I, I don't have regrets at all for what happened. And I think that when you look back at even right now, the guys, man, I was just in Sacramento. Mike, their church is blowing up, you know, 800 people, uh, amazing what Mike is doing. You look at Alex Kulibaba and Anthem Church, and there are three services on Sunday morning right now doing phenomenally. So, so even if some of the core guys who planted City Hill are not technically under City Hill, they're all in ministry, and God used that season at City Hill to train us, to uh, you know, to mature us, to grow us, to see how to do things and maybe how not to do things. And, um, you know, and here we are. And, and I think that I have to have that perspective for Woodmark Church, too, that there's going to be people who eventually plant church, uh, plant a church and, and plant ministries. Even from the very start, when we started Woodmark Church, we had somebody come join us and said, listen, I eventually want to plant a church in this region. Can I come alongside and just, just be with you guys and, and see how you guys do things? And and with, with time, plan a church, and said, "Yeah, uh, let's do it." You, how is Woodmark different from City Hill Church? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, City Hill, I think that we we struggle with maybe being very uh, certain on our vision in terms of. You know, some of the younger guys are like, hey, let's reach the community. And Pastor Vasily came as a senior pastor. And so we just say hey, he's he's the senior pastor with the vision in mind. And so um, I think that um, City Hill reaches all, but really for a season decided, hey, we're going to still focus on the Slavic community, uh, you know, and, and if none, the non-Slavic community comes and joins us and, and sits with us, it's great. But in terms of leadership, eldership, you know, decision-making process is going to stay in the, you know, sort of safe with who we know and trust right now. Where Woodmark from the very beginning says, hey, we're a, we're a multi-ethnic uh, church. Oh, we want to be a community church. So we want to reach uh, the city of Kirkland. And the city of Kirkland is very diverse. Um, so city of Kirkland has 100,000 people, close to 100,000 people on a Sunday morning. If you visit every church in Kirkland and count all the people, you'll count about 3,000 people total out of 100,000. Uh, so, you know, it's 3% yeah. of Kirkland is reached. You know, Woodmark exists to reach the 97,000 people of Kirkland. Um, you know, we love the people who live in, you know, in, in Tacoma and Federal Way and the Slavics that live in Everett and stuff. And uh, if they come to help us, great, but you're very particular. And we want to reach Kirkland and our surrounding, uh, you know, neighborhoods. We want to reach that region. But what about, the son would ask a question of, well, you grew up in Slavic church, Slavic, Slavic people, Slavic ministry, and there's plenty of work to do with Slavic youth. The new generation that's growing up, speaking, you know, fully English, American culture, why not continue focusing on them? Because maybe a Slavic church can reach them or connect with them as well. Then wouldn't, you know, you and guys like you would be more equipped to reach the yeah. younger Slavic generation rather than kind of maybe taking a focus off of them and focusing on a community, community at large? Yeah. One of the best things that I realized um, in planting several different campuses and churches, so I'm at number six right now, 
is that when I moved up north and passed on several campuses from City Hill, like the church is going to do well without me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, you know, sometimes we think without me is going to, it's going to be so bad. And like you move and they're doing just as well, maybe even better, you know? And so, and so it's not built on me. And so this idea that if Russell's not there, then we can't reach the Slavic community. Like, no, they're doing fine. And you take Federway, for example, right? Federway has 90,000 people on a Sunday morning. You have at least 10,000 Slavics in church in Federway. That's a lot. At least 10,000. You, you visit all the Slavic churches in Federway, at least 10,000. That's, that's over 10% just Slavics in church in Federway, where, where Kirkland is 3% total. Mm-hmm. Right. And so there are many churches doing a very good job reaching the Slavic community. Even if I'm not, there are others that are doing phenomenal. And, and the Lord has called them to that and equipped them probably better than even me. And he's put a passion in my heart and a vision in my heart to reach to reach our community. And, you know, nobody, you, you know, I mean, some are reaching Kirkland, but, you know, we're we need help and they need help. And so. I think it's just, uh, again, God uses all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. One of the things that I think the Slavic church does amazingly is raising up leaders. And uh, you take even SGC, how many pastors today are pastoring in our region who grew up in SGC? It's incredible. I think most megachurches, American megachurches in our region haven't raised that many leaders, where SGC has. It's raised a lot of great leaders, and I think that you know they do a great job of it. Uh, I wish, I wish that transition part was easier, you know. And uh, but um, they do a good job, uh, you know. And and so the Lord blessed them in what they do, and and man, we need the Lord's blessing in doing what we do. How was your your transition part? How's your relationship with AGC leadership now? Yeah, so my transition from HTC was simple because I was moving to Oklahoma to go to Bible school and I was gone for four years. And so they blessed me and they prayed for me. And, um, you know, when we um, had our son born, we brought him here to be blessed. And, and so um, I, I think it's remained cordial uh, throughout the years. And now the HTC leadership that's in place now is different than it was when, when we were leaving to Oklahoma 20 years ago. I've maintained a good relationship with Pastor Sergi. Uh, we connect from time to time, and um, a, lot, a lot of respect for him. He, uh, you know, he was did my wedding, and and so we connect from time to time. Uh, pastor Alex, who's the current pastor at SGC, man, there was a time when he'd come to America as a missionary, and he needed somebody to drive him around from church to church because he would we'd be fundraising, and so we drove him around a lot from church to church. I don't know if he remembers that, but <laughs> we drove him around a lot. You know, as a young guy who was a full time volunteer in the church, wasn't really paid much, and I invest my gas, you know, <laughs> well, my parents' gas <laughs> to drive him from church to church to, you know, to share his vision for missions and raise support. And um, uh, my dad's a, still a minister uh, at SGC. He's one of the deacons. Uh, and um, my in-laws are still, still part of SGC. So I, I think it's cordial. Mm-hmm. Um, now, honestly, I wish it was better. Uh, I wish that... Um, I wish they didn't see me as a threat, uh, you know. Um, what way? As a threat to, you know, I remember we were launching Woodmark Church, and so there's like, oh, man, is Russell going to take people? It's like, man, I, I want to reach Kirkland. That's 45 minutes from you guys. You know, people don't drive to Kirkland to church. Uh, here's the other thing I think that 
take SGC, Way to Salvation, many other churches like that. Um, you know, they, they see us as not conservative. We're in the normal circles of America. Man, we're as conservative as it comes. You know, the normal people will look at us and like, man, you guys are conservative. And then and then we, we once in a while we get into the Slavic bubble and like, oh, you guys aren't conservative. It's like, man, have you talked to <laughs> have you talked to others? And so uh, I wish that, you know, um, with time, there'll come an understanding that, you know, in the big picture of thing, our values. And when it comes to biblical absolutes, we completely align, you know, with SJC and Way to Salvation and many other churches like that. And um, uh, and I think with time, we can do even a lot more uh, good for the kingdom of God together. Um, but for now, we only see each other at weddings and funerals. Saying, saying hello. <laughs> but, well, growing up in, you know, all of us Slavic churches, Slavic culture, but right now, you generation that's coming, you know, way younger than us, and a lot of talk in the community is the how do we serve these young, even kids, and the conversations are, you know, English service at a Slavic church, church planting, or, you know, some, some take the option of, you know, no English service at all, just stick with translation. What do you think is inevitable for Slavic churches to do to reach their kids that are growing up in church to make sure that they stay in church and being preached to and ministered to? Yeah. See, I, again, I have a big view of, of the church and that God uses all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. And if God has given a pastor a vision that, you know, this is what it's going to be, hey, you, you, you stay true to the vision and how God has revealed himself to you. If God has called you to have a church in America, in Russian or in Ukrainian, and, and this is what you're supposed to do, well, do it and, and be the best of it. Um, at the same time, I, I wish that... Um, you know, we would truly understand our, uh, you know, our mission field uh, and our calling as a church. I, when you look at the New Testament church, they didn't separate based on languages and based on cultures they could have. And there was probably more grounds for separation back then than even now, uh, you know, in America. But when they went into cities, they planted multi-ethnic, multi-racial churches. And so I think that Personally, in my opinion, I think that if you have a Slavic church in America, you're you're missing it. I think you're missing what a church is to be, uh, a church of Jesus. Um, I, I think it's in some ways immature um, because Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And, and if we truly understand our calling as a church, not just a social club, but as a church, we're to be a beacon of hope for the community. We are to be a place where people can come can come and learn about Jesus. And so um, though pastor could have a vision to have a, a Slavic church in America, I just don't see how that aligns with the New Testament understanding of the local church. Um, and so, um, but but I think that God is going to use, you know, churches that are only Slavic, uh, churches that have English and uh, Slavic service and, and church planners as well. And so again, I think it goes back to the pastor and his vision and how he wants to approach it and what he's capable to do. Um, like, for example, right now, there's a massive wave of immigrants from Ukraine and Russia. I just, I don't, I don't feel comfortable speaking in Russian and, and preaching in Russian or Ukrainian 
because my language is limited. And so I focus on what I can do where I understand that some of the older leaders, they don't feel comfortable in English. And so they do what they can. Um, I, I certainly hope that as they do what they can, that they paint the vision for the kids, kids, this is what you're going for to reach the community. But that's not very often the case. Can a Slavic church reach the community with an English service? Or do you think they need to plant churches? Or can that be solved with an English service at a Slavic church? Yeah. So nationally, I'm connected to 83 right now Slavics uh, who have either planted a church that's English or planted an English service okay. that has a Slavic service alongside it. 83 of them. And so, you know, when it's two or three or five, it's one thing. But when you have 83 already, like you can sort of and, and some of them have been existent for many years. You can look at that and you can kind of learn some lessons from it. And honestly, uh, amongst the 83 churches that have done so already, um, there's different uh, styles of worship. Some are very traditional. Some are more charismatic. Um, you know, some have less of Americans. Some have a lot more. I think that it's it's really beautiful to see the diversity and, and what's happening in the years to come. Um, so I think that... Um, if you if you had an opportunity to just take a year and travel around and learn, you'll see you'll see some God is doing some amazing things through Slavics across the nation. Uh, you know, many Slavics you wouldn't even know about yet are reaching their city, making an impact in their city. You make an impact in their city through an English service at their church or through church planting. Both, both. You see both. You see some very healthy churches that have an English service and reach in the community or or they plant a church. You know, you take a core Ukrainian or Slavic team that plants a church and have an impact. So, yeah, you, you see both. What are some churches throughout America that are doing a great job of transitioning, like having a Slavic church, but also having an, a successful English service? Yeah. Yeah, so you name any state, and I'll tell you a couple that are really good. Um, so, for example, in Washington State, um, you know, City Hill uh, is an example. I think that um, there's a couple Baptist churches here that are doing a phenomenal job. Good News Church in Tacoma, Pastor Vasily Stupin uh, leads an amazing, amazing church. Uh, and then Spring of Life Church in Muckleteo, another Baptist church. Their English service is rapidly growing and reaching the community. So, you know, those are... Three examples in Washington and Vancouver. You see Church of Truth as an example. Uh, you know, they're doing a great job. And a number of other churches in that area, kind of similar, will they'll have an English service and a Slavic service. In California, you have a number of churches doing great. For example, um, uh, Alex Piekon and uh, Light of the Gospel, L-O-G-M-C, uh, Two Russian services, so Russian, English, Russian service, mm -hmm. uh, three services. Then House of Bread, uh, great. They're doing phenomenal. <clears throat> at nine o'clock, 11 o'clock, 1 p.m. So Russian service, English service, Russian service, doing phenomenal. Another one, Soul Church, a Baptist church in, in uh, Sacramento, Vadim Dashkevich. I think they now have five services on the weekend, oh. um, blowing up. And so every, uh, so, so they have a, it's a Ukrainian church, but they've started a Russian service. They have three Ukrainian services and one English service, and wow. they're looking to expand even more. And then on top of those five services, they every Saturday morning they gather four or five hundred new immigrants that are non-Christians and just do a community kind of a type of an event for them, where it's not a church service, but just 
just ministering to <laughs> serving the, the new uh, non-Christian Ukrainian community immigrants that have come in. East Coast, uh, I mean, uh, all over the states. In Springfield, Missouri, Bread of Life has a great English and a, and a Slavic service. Florida, you've got Bogdan, uh, uh, Bogdan Bondarenko with... Um, uh, Living Stream, they do a great job. Uh, for example, in Boston, uh, not, not in Boston, but in Springfield, Massachusetts, there's uh, five churches there now that are led by Slavic. So a couple of them have an English and a Russian service. Um, Pastor Alex Swor, Crosslight, great job. English service, Russian service. Uh, Pastor Vasily Tokarev, great Russian service, English service mm-hmm. in Massachusetts. So, I mean, you, you name the state, and I'll, I'll tell you a bunch of churches that are doing a really good job of it. So if you're in any state ever, <laughs> you know who to call to get connected to a great church. And lately, these conversations come up more and more often. Growing up at our age, younger kids are growing up. What would you say to a young person that, that wants to have, wants to be part of the church, as maybe similar to uh, the churches that you just named, but pastor doesn't have the same vision. Yeah. But they want to, but the the hard part is that they want to be faithful to their church, to their to the leadership. Don't want parents to get sad or upset that they're leaving a church to go somewhere else. If the main leadership is not supportive of this idea, what can a young person do to, I guess, yeah. to make that decision in their life, to have something like that, to be part of a church that's influencing the community? Yeah. Well, the first thing I would say to the young person is um, sometimes what you think that church is actually doing is probably just more here than in real life. I would just visit a couple of those churches, not just once or twice, but actually for a while. And you realize every church that you visit is, there's no perfect church. Every church is going to have their challenges and every church, their challenges are going to be unique. Um, You take a typical Slavic church Man, there's some things when it comes to youth and youth ministry that is that is beautiful. A typical Slavic church is much more healthier when it comes to their youth ministry than a typical church in America. Uh, our Slavic churches do a really good job with youth ministries, for example. And so sometimes when a young person sees or hears this sort of idea, like this church is doing all these stuff, like honestly, go visit before you before you cut all the ties with your church. And I've seen as an example in many places where they start an English service or they, or they plant an English church from, a, from one church, they plant another one. And some of the young people, you know, go there for a little bit and then come back. They're like, man, I, I actually feel more comfortable here, you know, to, the way to worship. And, and so there's a comfort zone that with, comes with the Slavic church. But if you feel compelled to reach the community, I think being honest, you know, sort of with your motives, with your pastor, with your family, um, it's, it's always a difficult conversation. They're going to they're gonna think you're joining a cult, you know, and they're going to come up with all kinds of excuses and all kinds of stories. Um, I would just say, though, if you do if you do feel called, um, find a church that, that is, you know, that is doing it and, and uh, join and help. And with time... Um, I think you realize it was probably the Lord, you know, leading you because those churches need help, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, to reach their communities. It's not as easy uh, to reach their communities. It's much more easier to just minister to a bunch of people who have church backgrounds than reaching non-church backgrounds. Um, the other thing I think, you know, when I look back at 
even when I was a youth leader at SGC, I think we made some mistakes um, as youth leaders. Now that I'm a lead pastor, uh, I know I have a vision for the church. You know, and if some young guy, you don't have a youth pastor right now. Uh, we're looking for a youth pastor, if you know somebody. Uh, but if some young guy comes, it's like, man, I'm going to have this different vision and take the church in a different direction. It's like, man, what are you doing? I, I, we've got a vision. We're praying for We hear from the Lord and, and we're trying to cultivate here. Why are you taking the church in a different direction? And honestly, when I look back, um, you know, as youth leaders, we probably, we probably sometimes made some mistakes. Uh, taking the church in a direction that the church didn't want to go into, you know, the senior pastor uh, and the senior leadership did not want to go into. And so uh, if the Lord is, is putting something on your heart, I would just say, talk to your lead pastor. And if they don't see that vision and, and they don't want to support that, and, and actually it's contradicting to what they want to do, uh, then don't bring the vision. Now, either buy into what their vision is and serve and come alongside and do what you can. And there's things you can, um, you know, one of the things, for example, that uh, excites me when I think of, uh, you know, Vlasichuk, I think you yeah. actually did a conversation with him. I remember when he was 12, 13 years old and his uncle planted this church. And I remember going there because we were, they were doing some events. We were trying to help him. And his uncle had this full vision and we went around the whole city, invited the whole city to come with flyers, pass around flyers. And they, they were doing a crusade and and it's like no, people didn't come, you know, and, and his uncle just said, OK, let me just take a season and invest into these young guys. And so though they didn't have a big impact in the region, he invested into those young guys. And now those young guys are changing their city and their region. So I, I say to you, if you know, if you have a vision to do something and, and maybe you're not willing to leave the church or leave the family and be with the family, hey, take a group of young people and invest into them. And what, watch what God will do long-term. But it's more of a long-term investment than a kind of a short-term gain. What are some of highlights or testimony to encourage you in your church planting journey that you see that make you go, wow, this was worth it? Because it wasn't easy. Uh, it was hard. But what are some of testimonies to yeah. help you keep going with church planting yeah. that maybe to encourage somebody else that, hey, it will be really hard, but here's why it may be worth it. Yeah. So this Sunday was Easter Sunday. Let me tell you a number of people I met. So um, there's one couple that came. Uh, they said, uh, we got your mailer one year ago. And we were so intrigued by it. We put it on our fridge and we're looking for an opportunity to come. And this Sunday was coming up and it's Easter Sunday. And he said, you know, let's finally go. A year later, came to our church. That's one couple. Uh, we had another couple come. He has no church background. She grew up Catholic. And she was, uh, she was looking for some kind of a church to find that kind of resembled her Catholic background. And uh, she saw some kind of a post of, that we made on Instagram. And she, and she said, your church looked like it might be Catholic. And so said, I went on your <laughs> website. And it was, it was so inviting. It was so beautiful. He said, I decided to bring my husband here, and here we are first time. Had another lady come. I uh, was looking for a church online. Uh, Googled it on, on Google and found us. And she says, you know, I haven't been to church in 20 years. And, and she's like, I'm so afraid to come. 
so she emailed us a couple of days before and it's like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid, but, you know, uh, I just want to make sure it's going to be kind of a safe place. And it's like, I grew up Christian. So do you guys preach the Bible or do you guys preach something else? And says, yeah, we preach the Bible. Don't worry. We won't ask you to do anything. You can come. She showed up and one of our ladies came up to her and began to talk to her. She started to cry. And she's like, I, this is what I need. So her husband wasn't wanting to come yet, but there she is. You know, uh, that's somebody I met this Sunday. Uh, I can tell you, uh, you know, 10 more stories from this past Sunday. Um, we regularly meet people uh, that come to church for the very first time, no church background. And some of it's because of mailers, some of it's because of Google ads and, and social media or word of mouth, um, different reasons. But, um, you know, now seeing what God is doing in their hearts and in their lives um, is so incredible. And um, um, one of the, the other things I was just driving here, I had brought a magazine with me from uh, Greet Kirkland Magazine. A couple of weeks ago, we did an event called Night to Shine with our church plant, which is just serving the um, serving the special needs community. Uh, first, we started and was like, okay, let's do some, let's serve 60 people with special needs. And which would mean we would need 60 buddies and about 60 more volunteers plus 60 parents would come. So we were like, this is going to be a, a huge thing for us, to, you know, to have 350 people involved. We started sign up in December. Midway through December, all 60 spots were taken. And all of a sudden, four or five people would email us every day. Please, can we come to? Please, can we? Can you take my son who has special needs? Can you please take my daughter who has special needs to this event? And we were doing the event in February, so we found a bigger space. We we expanded the list from sixty to eighty-five within hours. Twenty-five more people signed up. We closed the list. People are begging, please take some more. We we find an even a bigger space in January. We open up the sign-up list again from 85, and within within six hours, we fill it up from 85 to 150 people with special needs. We close it that same night. That's 150 people with special needs, 150 buddies, 150 parents, plus 150 others volunteers, 50 police officers, a Seahawks player, and you know by the time this event is done, I mean hundreds of people. Um, and and with you know 150 people with special needs, the, the city leaders uh, are part of that. Now you know, Great Kirkland, the, the core uh, magazine of Kirkland, four pages of pictures from this event. You know, and just seeing um, seeing that impact, it just gets me excited to see what what the future holds. That's awesome. Those those memories and victories are encouraging and motivating to keep going, and and they're nice and then. You have to have them to to have the energy to keep going and inspiration. But what are some of your moments, if you can remember even a, a longer time back, the, some of the hardest moments that you've had? That maybe you're like, you know what? Why am I doing this? Why not just go get a, a good job, pay yeah. the bills, go to church like everybody else does, and grow a career? What are some, if you were to remember, some of the toughest moments that you went through? Yeah. Yeah, ministry is difficult. Um it was easy. Everybody would be doing it. Um, I, I think that there's been probably three painful sides of ministry for me. You know that those that take the hardest hit. Um, one is would be certainly financially and, and what that meant on the family. Um, 
many seasons, especially when you're church planting. You know, when you're starting again from uh, church planting again, you got to go by vocational. The truth is, seventy percent of pastors in America are by vocational. Uh, there's there's no money in in ministry, and financially, I mean, it's been hard. Uh, even right now, our church is is growing, and we have five people on staff already part time. But nevertheless, I'm by by vocational, so that um, you know we can we can expand and do some more things, and that's had an impact on my health. Uh, I recently had some blood tests come back that are not really good, and. You know, it's just like when you're when you're working bivocationally, you've got a growing church, you've got young kids. Uh, there's a toll that comes, um, and so that that's a hardship. Um, I think the second hardship, you know, in, in church planting and ministry is you invest so much into people, and sometimes people just <laughs> do stuff that just you you know just like man i why <laughs> you know i remember there's a young man that i invested into so much for for over a year i'd pick him up to church every sunday you know and 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 do so much for him and then you know after a year and a half there was something i couldn't do for him and he went to social media is like oh man russell's a bad pastor he couldn't he can't you know he can't help me and it's like man i i've invested so much into you. I've, I drove separately to church for a year and a half away from my family so that I can pick you up way out of the way. And, you know, and it's just, uh, so, so people, sometimes you'll invest into people and and sin, uh, you know, can deceive people and and bring them back. And, and that's painful uh, when you see that. I think the, you know, the other side of it too is, you know, uh, it's all connected to people and sometimes in ministry there's going to be undue criticism and some people move and some people leave and um and and because of just kind of the deep ties around the people that that's always hard in ministry uh you're always an interim you know there's always going to come after you and um and 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 people come and go and and even the typically right now in America uh if if you don't have new people coming, especially in, like in the Seattle area or some of the bigger cities, if you don't have new people joining you, your church is going to decrease because about 10% move out within a year. You know, people are very transient because of college, because of job placements, because of costs of living, right? 10% are leaving. And so if you're not growing at least 10% in a year, you're um, you're growing down ten percent, and so 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 just to maintain where you're at as a church, you gotta have ten percent new people coming in a year just to stay where you are, and that's hard on pastors. You know, sometimes you're just you're looking at the numbers, and and, and that's very hard. The celebrations, the uh, the wins of the ministry, the hard moments, but I think anybody that's been involved long enough has some. Um, mistakes or moments you regret but even more lighthearted what are some embarrassing moments that you had because i think every leader can think of a few but more on a lighthearted note uh, you're like i can't believe i did this this was maybe not serious but very embarrassing yeah man i'm not sure i want to talk about my some of the recent ones so let's just remember some in the past um i remember me and mike Hachai, we went one time to ukraine on a mission trip and we were in a village uh, and uh, thinking, hey, we got this. Let's, you know, and me and Mike, we're both preachers. And, and the people are expecting, you know, not just 
preaching. I mean, like, give him something more. <laughs> and so <laughs> in between our sermons, we kind of go with, like, hey, let's sing a song, <laughs> me and you together. <laughs> and, man, we, we get up to sing, and we start on the wrong note. We start on the high note, <laughs> and, <laughs> and then we got to stop, you know, in the middle of the song because it's just too high. And, uh, oh, my goodness, I still cringe when I think about uh, some of the stuff you do in ministry. Any moments with like preaching and on stage that, or from young age kind of had a yeah. had a neck for it? A... Yeah, I mean, I mean, those are some of the most painful because they bring back, um, they, they bring your nightmares, you know. So for me, one of the nightmares that always is like, man, if I grab the wrong notes, you know, for the wrong sermon or the iPad goes out. And, and so when those kind of things happen... Um, it's very, very hard. And so you, you have to kind of revert back to a message you know and uh, or a message you've done before. And, and so I've had a couple of those. I think, uh, and we'll get more into a, a couple more serious topics. But for me, I still, when it comes to embarrassing moments, one of many is, I remember one time a, a friend was texting me about her younger brother and she said, hey, my younger brother will be at church today. Can you invite him to like a live group, connect group, um, you know, get him plugged in? I'm like, oh, who, who is he? So she sends me a picture. I look at a picture. I'm like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll find him after church. I'll connect with him. And I remember church was over. We had a coffee shop. Uh, and I scope him out. I see he's standing with his friends. And I come off as well. I'm like, oh, you know, kind of like brand new guys. I don't know you guys. So, you know, introducing myself, asking their names. And then especially for the, the brother, I'm standing next to him, like, oh, what's your name? I'm like, oh, you should come to my live group. We, you, I have, you know, guys, you girls come, you know, we're still young. And he said, oh, you know, like, I'm, I'm down. Let's do it. And I'm like, oh, let me get your number. And so he's standing right by me and kind of leans in to tell me his number. I opened the phone and then just a picture <laughs> of his face zoomed in on the whole screen. <laughs> and then I, st- I went, I don't remember the rest of it. I know I still got his number. I just exited right away. Still got his number. I don't think I've ever reached out to him <laughs> to, to come. I don't think we've ever talked after that. Yeah, no, for me, I think one of the hardest too is, you know, alongside those stories is you meet somebody who's like, oh, who are you? Welcome to our church. And they're like, well, you're members. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those are hard. <laughs> I think everybody has a lot of those moments. But from more lighthearted now, and you mentioned with, you know, leadership, being in leadership, you get hurt. Uh, by people, different people, the young guy, people leaving, uh, relationships are being severed. But what about for people that are hurt by a church? And that seems like a a common conversation as well. Like, I don't want to go back. I don't want to have nothing to do with the church. Specifically with those people, how would you encourage them to give it another shot and check, you know, cross the doors of a church again, get connected with the church again? Yeah, man, that's tough. I think that's uh, there's been a lot of uh, pain uh, caused by by other Christians, and um, I was preaching a message recently uh, a little bit on that, and and um, you know I had a segment when I just shared an apology from a pastor, and so many people came up. It's like, man, I I, I needed to hear this. Um, the truth is. Uh, Ministry and life is so fast-paced. Plus, we're sinful as people. You know, we we still live in in a sinful nature. And 
body and and so with that um, there will be people that will hurt us and the truth is there will be people that we hurt intentionally or unintentionally and and so church hurt happens um, very very often I think that um, you know, somebody who's been hurt by the church, if I could say it, you know, as a pastor, if, if there's anything we can do, please, please forgive us. We're, we're humans and we, uh, we make mistakes. Jesus doesn't. And we don't call you to us. We call you to Christ. And, and so we will, I just want to be honest with you. We will disappoint you. We will hurt you. Uh, we will forget things. We will overpromise and underdeliver. Sometimes we will do things, un, you know, uh, unreasonable, wrong, with the wrong motives. It'll happen. But to all believers, I would just say that, um, you know, one of the things that will help you is um, is to have a heart that chooses not to become offended. Um, we will offend people. All of us will offend people. Jesus offended people. So if you're going to try to live in a way that, you know, you don't offend people, it just won't happen. But if you could, uh, learn to live unoffended. Uh, blessed is he who doesn't take offense. You know, and, and it's a choice to forgive. It's a choice that you can make to trust again, to believe again, to love again, even though you've been hurt. And, and as difficult as it is, you know, for example, some people get hurt by love and a relationship and they'll get so closed in, uh, you know, for the fear of being hurt again. Uh, and I would just say, I mean, I understand that fear, but 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 the uh, the the you know the chance that you will experience love again is is so valuable and important that that you should risk again, even though it will mean you being hurt again. And so, if you've been hurt by church by by leaders, um, just know that it wasn't coming from Jesus and from the heart of Christ and his heart towards you. And, um, uh, you know, if you could uh, fall in love with Jesus all over again and, and um, look to him, not to people, uh, to, to satisfy you. And choose not to be offended. You mentioned relationships and hurt and church leadership. Recent event that took social media by storm death of Rita and that whole situation. And that gave a lot of people opportunity or reason to speak up or speak out against church, church leadership in, in general. What are your thoughts on the whole situation, I guess, from both sides? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, the truth is I don't know much. Um, I, you know, I've read some posts, but I don't know much. And 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 I think that um, because I don't know much in terms of even, for example, who knew what from the pastors, uh, I don't know what, what they knew. And so for me to uh, to judge a pastor without knowing what they knew, I, I can't say much. But if a pastor knows of the abuse and chooses to cover it, I think that's a pastor that needs to reevaluate. You know, like, are um, you know, are you bold enough to actually stand for justice? Um, you know, maybe, maybe let's find somebody else that can. You know, and again, but it just depends on who knew what and and, and the circumstance. Because 
whether someone was a pastor or a family member, if they knew something, their responsibility is just as much to speak up. And I know sometimes when, when you do speak up, I, I've had a situation when I've spoken up and man, we, we faced a lot as a price because of that. And, but, um, we still will, you know? And so I, I, in terms of Rita, I, I don't know, uh, what the pastors knew. I, I don't know the circumstances. Um, the, the audio that I heard of him, if that's him speaking and trying to kind of tell his daughter why he's abusing his wife, that's horrendous. That, that speaks of a person that's, um, uh, that is not just choosing to cover their tracks. They're manipulating, you know, the family and, and maybe the daughters, if that's his voice. Um, but I do know that uh, authorities are competent uh, to to do their investigation, and I'm sure that they're involved and have been involved. And so, um, yeah. That was, that was a tough situation and just brought a lot of light or I think even made churches in the community to start thinking about it and talking about it. What what is the proper way to handle something like this, especially you know with church leadership and now understanding that there's consequences to maybe a slow slow action or trying to figure out maybe in house the I guess if anything hindsight like everybody's looking back or like your silver lining now hindsight silver lining of all of this is a lot of churches are considering like hey if similar situation is it happens in our church. How are we going to handle? Yeah. How are we going to respond to such, such a yeah. situation? Here's uh, here's one truth for pastors and even for others to say. I, I've, uh, you know, after counseling uh, different individuals, I've had to call and report a number of times. And if you think you're going to call and report and all of a sudden, five minutes later, helicopters are coming, police are coming and the news are coming. Trust me, it ain't happening. And sadly, uh, I think the number of times that I've made reports where even though as a minister, I'm not an obligated reporter in Washington state, I still have. I wish more would have been done. And and you just, I mean, it's basically sometimes you just call and leave a voicemail. <laughs> sometimes you just kind of mention what you know and they take notes and they wait for other input too, you know? And, and so I would just say for ministers, um, don't over um, fear making a call and getting advice from professionals. I, I just be on the safe side, you know, on that. Um, have a conversation. They're there to guide and assist you. Uh, they're not there to all of a sudden call the news and everybody else and, you know, and pull out the guns. Mm. Another common topic you know, when church ministry, style of churches, style of services that comes up is, I think, a lot of our, our Slavics come from Pentecostal backgrounds and the questions of prophecies and tongues and healings and demons and all of those things come up. At Woodmark, what's your guys' view and how do you guys handle what we, what we would call the sign gifts? Yeah. Great question. I, I listened to your recent podcast with this heretic, my friend, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Pastor Jima. Love that brother. We go way back. Um, we we have differences of opinions on certain things, but uh, he's a good brother. We openly teach at, at Woodmark Church that we uh, we're not a cessationist church, and that's where we draw the line. 
Um, so really in kind of in the big scheme of things when so it comes to... So for the to, people that didn't listen, oh, sorry, last episode, yeah. so that you're not cessationist. Yeah, so me, you do believe that the tongues ex- still exist, prophecies, healing still exists, yeah. and those gifts exist. Yeah. So in the big spectrum of things, there's, uh, you know, one extreme is the cessationist, that all of that existed only in the New Testament time. And now any gifts of the Holy Spirit, especially the visible signs, any manifestations of those are actually demonic, you know. And so people who are cessationists will, will you know, will be firmly, firmly against that. And, uh, you know, John MacArthur, for example, is, you know, is one of the kind of key leaders behind cessationism. So that, that's one extreme. The other extreme is sort of the idea that, well, if you don't speak in tongues, that means you don't have the Holy Spirit. And when the rapture happens, you won't be raptured because the Holy Spirit will rapture those who have the Holy Spirit. And, and so, um, you know, those are, I think, two extremes. And we would say for those that are part of Woodmark, um, we're, we're not at both of those extremes. Uh, so we, we do believe that the gifts Holy Spirit uh, continue today uh, and can be manifest today. Now, how that's done and who has what and, uh, you know, I, I think that there's, there's different views even amongst us at, at Woodmark Church and... Um, and we learn from from each other. We have a lot of people from a Baptist background. We have a lot of people from a Pentecostal background. I, I think we bring strengths to to the, to the conversation, um, and so that um, we value and we we seek. Uh, I, I think without the help of the Holy Spirit, we just can't do uh, what we need to do in our region. And so we value um and and long for the tangible presence of God and the supernatural uh to be present um you know a couple moments in my life for example that where the supernatural was just so evident I, I, two moments really quick i remember when i was 14 15 thinking i've blasphemed the holy spirit <laughs> and we were actually with our teens at our church in portland and we were in a service and i was thinking man why am i even here i blasphemed the holy spirit and during prayer some older grandma comes to me and she says i have a word of god for you and she gives me a piece of note and that piece of note says my son you will go and not grow weary and my hand will be with you man that changed the trajectory of my life that note because the first words, my son, were enough for me. I thought I'd blaspheme the Holy Spirit. I don't know who that grandma was, but man, I still have that note in my Bible. Uh, after that, I just, you know, began to seek out, to speak more, to preach. Grandpa Rachuk, that little <clears throat> note just just changed me. Um, another episode similar even recently. We were, uh, so before planting Woodmark, I was part of a church called Timberlake Church in overseeing their campuses and it's a church that on Easter Sunday had over 8,000 people, you know, phenomenal church. And, um, you know, things were comfortable for me. And, and, and then we built a relationship with seven couples and we decided to plant Woodmark. And uh, one of the evenings we gathered for kind of in a smaller group setting to, uh, you know, to meet with our team and my dad and my family came and, after service, my dad was crying. It's like, Russell, you're moving from, you know, thousands of people and, and you're having an influence to, you know, 25 people. Are you sure you heard from the Lord? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, the next day, man, I was I was feeling so down. 
And my wife's like, you know, why don't you go to a coffee shop, grab your Bible and just go spend spend some time with the Lord. And my wife never says that because she's like, and here's coffee at home. <laughs> Stay with me. <laughs> and so I go to a coffee shop and I sit down really discouraged, really like, Lord, what what's next? Like, it, did I really hear from you? And a man in his 50s or maybe 60s comes and kind of sits by me and starts humming. And, and I'm like, man, well, okay, well, I guess I got to talk to him because, you know, I'm going to be planting a church. So I turn to him. He's like, hey, what, what are you humming? And he turns to me and he starts crying. And he says, the Lord sent me here today to tell you that what you're doing is of me. And even if you're being discouraged by, by others right now, you need to know this is of me and my hand's going to be with you. And, and uh, this place is going to be a place for healing for many. And and you just need to continue to do what I've called you to do. And then he looks at his watch and says, now I, I got to go and pick up my wife. I've done, I've done my part. And he says that all while weeping, you know, and, and I'm sitting there like, my goodness, is this even real? Hmm. I wish my wife could be here right now to hear this, you know, and it was so encouraging in that moment, you know? And so if, if that's the gifts of the Holy Spirit, man, I want that. We, we need that in our church. We need people to be able to hear from the Holy Spirit and, you know, and, and, and speak into their lives. Now, maybe we won't, you know, in, in terms of, I think, where the Baptist kind of background is like, man, you know, sometimes be careful and saying this is the word of the Lord, you know, <laughs> uh, where, you know, maybe, maybe not prophesying, thus says the Lord. But saying, hey, you know, the Lord is, is put in my heart to, to say this to you, you know. So I think that if we approach it with humility, but really openness and allow the Holy Spirit to function amongst us. And I, I, I long to have people that can hear that way from the Lord, like that grandma or like that man. You've mentioned the both extremes, you know, the cessationist, continuationist, and it could get, you know, ugly on, on both ends. If somebody, you know, wants to experience the gifts of the spirit and the, the prophecies, the tongues, the healings, the seeing the demon possessed people being freed and all those things. But you've seen the other, what we call the extreme Pentecostal part where it's ugly and, and weird. weird yeah. How, what, what can they do to still, maybe they're discouraged. We're kind of like looking at it. And it's like, you know, I, I don't want nothing to do with that. How can one still, I guess, carefully or cautiously still pursue the gifts of the Spirit without getting weird. Yeah, yeah. So Timberlake Church, uh, we, when our, there, our, our slogan was, serious faith, casual atmosphere, no weird stuff. <laughs> and Christians hated that because like communion's weird. Non-Christians love that because they're like, man, we're going to come here because you say there's no weird stuff. And we, we, we just want to experience something with no weird stuff. Um, I think you can experience the presence of God and the power of God without the weird stuff, without, you know, the, the, the gifts. So, so really in, in kind of in that conversation, I think you have to understand that there's, there's God and what he's doing. There's Satan and what he's doing. And then there's man and what he's doing. And so let's not assign everything that, you know, and then people want to kind of separate, oh, it's either Satan or God. But really, there's that third element in it, and that's people and how they respond and what they do. And so I just, you know, sometimes I, I would hope some of the weird, uh, some of the weird manifestations like, hey, let's get the, 
the the extra stuff out. Let's just do what God does, and and you know, and um, yeah. So so my response to if somebody at Woodmark comes and says, "Hey, I'm longing to experience more of that," um, you know, I think when you, if that's what you're praying for and seeking out, um, be open and ask the Lord, like Lord, Lord, I, I hunger for Your presence. I hunger for You and. And it's like God is a good giver. He's a He's a Father to reveal Himself to you and uh, and do things that are supernatural in your life. Um, and it doesn't have to be weird. You know, one of the things, for example, that I was intrigued by the the revival in Kentucky, mm-hmm. um, what the Asbury revival. You know, it was a it was a, a genuine move of God without the weird stuff. You know, without the without the jerking, without the the stuff just like man, um, that you know, I'm not sure I want all that, you know. And it's powerful. People were wanting to come from all over the world and just just abide in that without the weird stuff. And so I, I think that the presence of God and the tangible presence of God and the gifts of the Holy Spirit can operate without the weird stuff. And and we long for that. Now, the Lord bless churches that kind of have those stuff, and you know, He's using them in in incredible ways and. Uh, you know, we've chosen to kind of be a tribe that, you know, kind of where, where um, you know, we, we long for the tangible presence of God uh, at the same time, you know, somewhat a church with order, you know, and, and, and how things are. But there are tribes that are a little bit more different in their approaches and God bless them and use them. And then I think that God does uh, use them and God is doing work through them and people are being healed and people are are being set free and for me i think i went like at one point one side of like you know none of the weird stuff period but then the more you know studying and looking into it's like well like you said working with people sign gifts when it comes to tongues prophecies healing demon possession like at some points because you are working with people you can get maybe not weird but messy like ah oh, like is this how it's supposed to be and then so one side of it was like well let's not just let's not deal with it at all not to see the messy stuff, not to deal with the messy stuff. But I started thinking like the other side of it is like, what's more weird is that seeing something supernatural happen that like for people, for people doesn't make sense. It may look messy. Is that more weird than for one to live his whole life? And then, you know, 50 years later say like, yeah, I believe God can heal. I believe God can speak to people. I believe God can free people from demons and you have never experienced it in their life. And I was like, a Christian, a non-Christian person can question you like, you said you believe all this stuff and you've never experienced it in your life. You've never witnessed yeah. it. You don't have that as part of your life. Like you have this authority, power, and yet you've never experienced it. I was like, well, I would rather rather deal with the messy stuff of healings and spiritual stuff rather than go my whole life and never experience any yeah. of it. And yet claim that like, my God can do these things. I've just never experienced that and I never cared to experience it. It was more of like I pushed myself away from from that. Yeah. One of the guys that really helped me heal from sort of that conversation is Sam Storms. Uh, his book on practicing the presence and practicing the gifts of the Holy Spirit is so powerful. And practicing the power? Yeah. Practicing the power. Yeah. Yes. So powerful. Um, it, that really, really brought me because I, you know, I, 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 you know, when I saw some of the weird stuff, I was, I was leaning towards yeah, yeah. the other extreme, and he just kind of 
corrected that brought me back in 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 what how I view some of the you know gifts of the holy spirit and and really making room for that you know the other thing that our culture today I mean, they've got more weird stuff than than some of the weird churches yeah. too. <laughs> I was at Starbucks recently, and somebody brought crystals with them, and they're talking about how different they need different crystals for different days and different things that they're doing. It's like, man, if crystals are doing that to you, do you know what Jesus can do for you? <laughs> you know, and and so I think that we we've got to make some room. You know, and that's interesting and that you brought up you know, like the whole crystals crystals part, and because a lot of times. We have those reservations like, well, I don't want to get spiritual. I don't want to, you know, be like, let's just talk logically. Let, you know, the spiritual stuff can wait later. And yet the world or the other beliefs, they do not care. And, and people are are all into it. Like yeah. I follow in, in with my social media, like more Silicon Valley and those guys and techie guys. And they're all like the whole meditation. And I sit there and I pause and I hum and I sit in posture and apps are blowing up and making, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of like all these meditation apps. And people are looking for different kind of something beyond themselves. Yeah. And yeah, we have something amazing. And yeah, with our coworkers, classmates, people that we encounter. And yeah, it sucks that we're so often so reserved to, oh, let's not mention the spiritual stuff because it can get weird or messy. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they, the people are looking for the spiritual, the messy stuff in crystals and meditations and everywhere else. Yeah. As a pastor, you... Well, you have you know a lot of experience and seen a lot of things. What are some things in this season of your life, of your ministry, that you're thinking through or wrestling, trying to figure out in this in this season of your life? I think there's a couple different elements that are happening. One is, um, you know, I'm a, a father of four growing children, and. Um, that's a prayer, like how do I get this right and how do, um, you know, how do I continue to invest into my kids? And so um, this is a new season for me. Uh, I have two middle school students. One's going to be going to high school here. And and so they're amazing kids and I'm loving every second of it. But that's a new, unique season for me. Uh, with that, uh, the second element for me, you know, f as a church, we're growing and um uh, I, again, I've planted six times from, from nothing, you know, where you start something and then you eventually pass it on. And Woodmark, we're praying, is our last one and final one. And and so, you know, as a pastor, I'm always thinking about, I'm always doing four things. Uh, one is sermon prep. Two is uh, pastoral care. Three is administration and business. Four is um, team building. And and so, you know, it's like, how do I become better in all four of those areas? And so finding books, finding conferences, finding people in my life that can help me do all those four things in a way better, but also delegate some of those things to others that I can be more free to, uh, to be present for my kids, you know, and so trying to balance that. I do need to figure out sort of what's next for me and in, in kind of because uh, I'm full time right now at Subsplash working helping churches with their online engagement and apps and stuff like that. It takes me away from, from abil ability to connect with new people that come to the church. And so how do I transition and when do I transition back into full-time at the church? That's something I'm learning to navigate as well. And even as a church, you know, we're, um, 
we have a lot of great new people have joined us and you know that next phase in church is um who do we ordain as elders and you know and and you don't want to be too much in a hurry at the same time you need those people that can carry the weight and mm. responsibility and uh, some of those people i mean a large percentage of our church i didn't know a year ago these are all new people but then they're so dear and precious and 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 so kind of that next phase for me is um you know getting some uh, elders on the team you know to, to help lead the church together so these are all things i'm kind of navigating right now those are some complex and difficult things uh, to figure out through all your ministry life and right now what are some even let's say if somebody wants to online or authors let's say some of maybe pastors that have influenced you in a big way or some authors that have influenced you who would they be throughout different seasons different people have influenced me and and i sometimes have uh, you know, they have different periods, and it's like, man, I really get into one. And uh, so there's been seasons when I remember I read Rick Warren's book on Purpose Driven Church. Yeah. And man, what a book. That was so powerful. That gave me the vision for church planting. And then, uh, you know, when I was in college and began to read a lot of church planting stuff, Ed Stetzer and all these church planting books, and they had an impact on me. Then, I, I, as we began to plant, uh, I love the guys that teach a lot about systems. So Chris Hodges and Church in the uh, Church of the Highlands and Ark, and you know, sort of putting systems in place. Uh, you know, so so they had an impact on me. Now, now that systems are in place and everything's running, the guy that's having a big impact on me are guys like. Uh, John Mark Comer, they're teaching me to slow down <laughs> and rest uh, and have moments of silence and solitude. Uh, so Bridgetown is is actually a church we look up to a lot right now. They're doing some unique things um, where, you know, it's one thing to go to a Bible Belt and learn from a church that's doing well in the Bible Belt. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you go there and you're like, man, this is great. I'm not sure you can apply in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Like, Somebody's going to go to growth tracks four Sundays in a row. People don't show up to church four Sundays in a row. Not not in Seattle, not in Portland. And so what you have to sometimes do is say, okay, who's doing well in the region that were kind of similar to us? And what can we learn from them? And so Bridgetown is, is a church for us right now, for Woodmark, that is uh, a model church in some ways. You know, we look up to them and, and learn a lot from them. Tyler or John Mark Comer, um, John Tyson, uh, Church Church of the City in New York, um, some of the stuff that they're doing in books and conferences, Art of Teaching, a conference that they uh, they put on as well. Uh, those are guys that we're learning a lot from. I think I I'm done from my end. Anything that you would like to add in closing? If somebody still while we're like. An hour and a half in. If anybody's still here, to something encourage them in your your words for for somebody. If you want to come and help us at Woodmark Church, <laughs> <laughs> we need the help. All we can do, all we can get. Um, I just encourage younger leaders, if you're watching, uh, be a reader, um, read books. I, I love how you've got uh, all these books here, and and I come in, and and one of the first questions I ask you, like, have you read all these books? Um, I'm always reading books, and and sometimes if I'm not reading, I'm listening to books, and and they have such a, a big in, impact on me. Even right now, I'm I'm a 
I'm getting my master's degree. Uh, you know, I stay up late at night doing papers and it's costing me a lot of money. Uh, I have one more class left to go, uh, but I'm going to be done with my master's degree. And, and I see how that forms me, how that changes me, forces me to think, forces me to read, forces me to write. And it changes me, you know. And so as a leader, don't get complacent. Um, make sure you're regularly learning and growing. Uh, and that way, uh, I remember somebody said this to young speakers. He said, don't look for places to speak. Have something to say. Ooh. And then you'll be invited to places to speak. You know, and, and so as a young leader, like have something to say. And then don't worry about having places to speak. Russell, thank you. Uh, thank you.